Welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella here to talk about everything that happened this week in surfing. Before we get started, I have a few little notes. First and foremost, sorry that Stace and I didn't get to do a sunset pre-show. We thought the event was going to start a little bit later than it did, and yeah, basically we lost track of time and missed the window. So hopefully you guys are enjoying the event, and hopefully you didn't make any major betting blunders. If, if anything, you're probably lucky that I didn't come on and give you my picks, because I've been doing absolutely horribly. So I guess you're welcome for that. Another note is that last week I said that John Dace, I still can't say his last name, I'm sorry, uh, John Desasari, I think, was the guy who founded TGR. That's actually not correct, it was the Jones brother. John DeCesare founded Poor Boys Productions, which have done some work with TGR, etc. My brain doesn't work that well. Anyways, now Buck is going to come on and we are going to talk about all this week's news, which include a major Zeke Lau interference for the second week in a row. Can you even believe it? Uh, we're also going to talk about Europe's sea level rise and how it will affect one of the most important and famous surf rich areas. We're going to talk about Make or Break Season 2, which, as the time you're listening to this, probably just went live on Apple TV+. And we're going to talk about the big wave surfer who recently sprayed Miley Cyrus with a hose. There's a lot in this week, uh, but I hope you're going to enjoy. So let's drop in. Mikey, how far out is the bachelor party? What's our swell forecast uh, roller coaster? Where are we at? Are we are we high up? Are we screaming? Are we doing a loop-de-loop? We're, Tell me. we're pretty excited. I'm not going to lie. The pineapples are expressing, and it looks like it's going to be a go. So it actually technically starts on Saturday. But I think we're going to leave Friday night, probably right after I publish this podcast, and do this sort of overnight drive. It's like a five-hour drive, I think. Try to get there right around sunup and hopefully go straight into some tubes. So that's that's the plan. What color? <laughs> We've got orange. We're sitting on orange. We're not quite red, but uh, you never know. Ooh, wow. Things can change. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited. But I have a couple other things that I need to note before we get into this week's at Buck. So first of all, cicadas have been a theme uh, in the past couple weeks because it's it's that season here in Costa Rica, as I said. And you can probably still hear them right now. Mm -hmm. But I had an incident that occurred this week, or actually, I guess it's been occurring, but I just realized what was actually happening this week. So outside of my house, we have this tree, this big, beautiful tree. It's majestic. It glows in the light. And for the past, you know, I don't know, three, four weeks or so, it's been like doing this incredible mist thing like this. It was like this magical misting tree. And we were like trying to search for it online. Like, what is this tree? Why is it misting? Like you'd go under it and it would just feel like you were getting, you know, just like a nice spritz of water. Like it was creating its own rain or something like that uh, until a gardener came over to our house and said, oh, that's actually the pee of the cicadas. They're peeing on you off of this tree oh wow trees they're oh you're just getting peed on by them yeah cicadas so to anybody who's been struggling with the cicadas in the background noise just know that it could be worse wow okay well that is a great way to frame this episode let's go <laughs> wait i have one more thing you threw me with the gardener because i thought the guy was looking to have a he was spraying it with the hose i got confused for a minute no 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 costa rica there's a lot of aliens there i know that you've seen them um so I thought maybe that was involved. It just uh, I wish I, it was. I was confused. No, it's just cicada pee. Yeah, I've been getting golden showered. Okay, so the other thing. This is more of an existential surfing question that I don't know how to deal with. So I have a surfboard that I originally got back in I think it was 2018 to do a joyride on it, 
And I loved the board then, but I left it down in Costa Rica just so I didn't have to like move around with it so much. And I found it again in the past couple months and I've been riding it again. I still love it. The board feels amazing. Like I want to ride it pretty much every day. There's good waves. The problem is because it'd been sitting around for so long, the glue on the traction pad had started to falter and, and I actually lost like the main middle chunk of it with the, with the arch bar in it. And one of the other ones is falling off as well. And so I just need to know what do I do with a traction pad that's falling off? And, and for the record, I'm the one piece is gone. Like it's, it's lost. It's never going to be found. So it's not as if I can just like super glue that back on. But so now I have this board that I really like, but it's really yellow and old. And I have a traction pad that's like missing pieces. What do I do here? Do I rip it off and put a new one on? That feels weird to me, but it also like, I don't really like surfing it that much without the missing piece kind of hurts my foot a little bit sometimes. Okay. I'm not qualified to answer this question, but I know who can at sad pads on Instagram. (laughs) That is, I think my favorite Instagram, Instagram account in the world. And I think if you send sad pads a photo and explain the situation, they will be able to tell you what to do because they are the experts in this space and I think you have to do that because it's um, it's above my pay grade. Okay, well, maybe we'll try to get an answer from them and you can put it in the podcast next week when I'm out. Okay, sounds good. We'll keep you posted, folks. You can spray Miley Cyrus with a hose and the WSL still won't tell you how big your potentially world record-breaking wave is. Oh, I thought this was going to be about cicadas somehow. Sorry. Go ahead, uh, continue. I mean... <laughs> We were, it's implied, but this story, you might be confused what it's talking about. That is fair. It is talking about Mason Barnes. Mason Barnes is a surfer from North Carolina. You may remember last March, he rode a very, very, just exceptionally tall wave at Nazare. He won the biggest tow wave of the year award for it. Um, and the WSL still has not come out the size, so that's part of the title. And then the other part of the title is he just featured in a Miley Cyrus video. And so we talked to him. It was fun. Okay, so do you know what's maybe my favorite part about this whole WSL measure it sort of thing? Like, you know how we talked about before, there's a WSL, then Red Bull's coming with its own thing, blah, blah, blah. But the WSL one is hilarious because you only know that you're even in contention to be like considered for the highest wave in the world if the WSL sends someone to your house to measure the size of your lower leg. Oh, yeah. I have an update on this. I have an, You asked me about this, and I have an update. <laughs> they have his leg dimensions on file. They took them in 2020. <laughs> so this exists somewhere. Just somehow they have stored, like it might be on somebody's computer, it might be in a drive, but they presumably have just Mason Barnes' leg Somewhere where they know they could access it again because they did it. And I guess now they're like, no, we got the leg, dude. It's all good. <laughs> so there's, you're telling me there's a database with like 100 big wave surfers lower leg measurement. Yeah, they're coming after everybody on Apple Watch with the biometrics. They're doing legs. I, I don't know what the fuck Dirk Zip is doing here, but it is getting really weird, a little bit kinky, fast. Oh, my God. That's absolutely, that just makes me so happy that this is, this is, this is like peak surfing, is it not? Like, we find the hardest, most ridiculous way to do something. And it's just, yeah, it's a beautiful part of our culture. And I think we need to keep it alive. Yeah. And it's just so funny because, like I said, Mason got that wave almost a year ago. We're coming up on what would be the year anniversary. And 
the reason that I talked to him, or I guess an inspiration for it, was this Miley Cyrus video. Um, funnily, I think the funniest thing is that that single called Flowers got its own Guinness World Record <laughs> for most streams in a single week, which is 96 million. And so this happened, like, some people do the world records automatically. I don't know how if they got her leg on file at Guinness or whatever, but it's just ironic to me that she legit won a guinness world record for these streams on spotify i guess wow i don't even know the song um, can we play a clip here oh yeah what are they gonna do sue us all right stace hit it Yeah, sorry. I mean, I don't know if they do the songs where it's just mathematical or something, but that thing, it gets in my head. I was, I was kind of humming it and bouncing around. You know, the hips don't lie with me. And yeah. It's pretty good. Anyway, Mason's at a really interesting point. Like I said, this, him being featured in um, the rollout for this, like he's not in the music video, but they, he was part of the shoot and they've, Miley has been posting stuff of him spraying her with a hose. Uh, that's that's what inspired me to talk to him. But then it led to a really interesting chat. Um, he is a very good looking fella. He's a model. He was in Paris Fashion Week. And so he has a foot in that world too. And yeah, he also told me it's stuff we kind of knew about, but I guess having a conversation with somebody who has to make decisions based off of the state of play in the big wave world. It was really interesting because essentially there's only the two events. There's the Nazare toe, which is just whatever. And then there's the jaws event, which will be sick when it runs, but no world title. And it's pretty hard to get invited to either of those. And there was like five good jaws swells this year that they just didn't run on. Yeah. And I don't know what they're doing there, but instead of doing the big wave awards that we've known for a while, which is like every year, here's the biggest wave, here's the biggest ride or the best ride, all that. Now there's a 350k purse only if somebody breaks a world record. So it's a weird place because that's not going to happen every year. There could be a year where they're like, uh, nobody broke the record. Sorry. So it's like, what do you do? Especially as like, how do you kind of try to make it work as a big wave surfer? It's a a strange time. And it's only going to happen at one wave too. Like it's only, you know what I mean? Like, so you're only incentivizing people to go to one big wave spot in the world when we know, first of all, there are many that are better than that one wave. And two, it's like, you're just kind of like forcing everybody into this weird little cesspool. I don't know. It's just, yeah, it is a really strange place to be. So let's hear some of Mason's thoughts on that as well, because it's, uh, I thought he spoke well about it. You know, I love surfing for fun, but it's also nice to have a goal and an incentive to like win something. Um, so that part of it kind of sucks, but um, at the end of the day, it is, you know, the only reason I am where I am is because I, I just love what I do. So maybe more will come out of it just because I'm out there not worrying about winning an award now and I'm just kind of surfing and going with the flow. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. It, it's kind of interesting too because like, you know, free surfers don't have awards, but they have edits and it's like, yeah. I guess unless you're doing like a vlog style thing, it's kind of hard to make like a full big wave edit. It, it just seems like there's not much happening in that space either, but maybe it is exactly. something to be explored. And, to, and for it to be tasteful, it has to, it, you can't just put clips of you riding, catching 40 foot waves and going down the line. No, that's not, 
you know, compelling to anyone. Yeah, that's exciting from a surfer. And from my perspective, there's a challenge and it's hard and impressive. But to capture someone's attention, you got to just, I'm more focused on like a couple crazy waves a year, um, you know, that will kind of break the internet and get circle, circled around the world opposed to stacking clips and getting a bunch of good waves. Um, yeah. Because nowadays everyone's attention spans so short. All they really, everyone talks about the one wave every swell. It's not like, oh, Mason had 10 sick waves. It's like, oh, that guy had one crazy wave. And nowadays things just go straight to Instagram. It's not like you save a clip and drop it in a movie a year later. It's just like, Get the crazy wave, put it up, and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, you should write that down. That's the plan for for this winter. <laughs> Zeke Lau eliminated from Sunset in yet another controversial interference call. He he just seems to like him. It's like uh, it's like a fly to honey. Him in that triangle, huh? Yeah, well, okay, so I'm not going to be here. I'm, I'm going to be out the next two weeks, so I'm not going to be able to talk with Stace about Sunset, but I do, like, this just happened yesterday, and it's fresh in my mind, and I do have some thoughts on it. So uh, first and foremost, what you just said, it does seem to be true about Zeke, but it's worth noting that in the last one, interference actually went in his favor, right? In theory, he should have been able to leverage that to win the heat. In this case, it was clearly against him, so he ended up losing the heat. So just as a little refresher for anybody who somehow missed it, basically it's the end of his heat, it's round two, it's Zeke, Rio Wida, and Leo Fioravanti. Zeke's in first place with priority, two minutes left. Seems literally impossible to fuck this up. Alas, a little wave rolls in, right? So Zeke and Leo kind of have a look at it. They paddle. Zeke maybe he barely kicks his feet a little bit, but it didn't look like a fully concerted paddle, but it also wasn't one of those like one arm just peeking over the, the shoulder that, that Slater does. Um, so it was borderline. And the judges seem to think so too, because it took them about a minute to change the, the priority up on the screen. So from you know two minutes till one minute at least for the viewer at home you still saw zeke with the big p next to his name eventually that changes and apparently zeke didn't notice i don't know again this goes back to the apple watch thing we don't know what the surfers are getting there we don't know how quickly it's happening how accurately it's happening but zeke doesn't know leo talked after the heat he said that he did know but not until you know just before it happened or whatever so maybe zeke was paddling at that time he didn't check his watch again anyway Zeke ends up following Rio around the, around the lineup. Rio's in second place. Zeke is in first. And it's worth noting that in this second round, there's no value to winning the heat. All you need to do is get first or second, and you qualify to go to the third round. So it's not like the first round where you get this sort of little boost if you win your heat. In this case, it's literally kind of just Zeke being a bully to be a bully. At least that's how I see it. Maybe it's him thinking like, oh, Leo's my friend. I want to give him a better chance to you know, make this heat. So I'm going to follow around the guy in second place that Leo's trying to chase. Uh, it was also weird to me that Rio wasn't sitting by Leo when Rio had second priority, Leo had third. But anyway, a wave comes at the very end. Priority had changed. Zeke didn't know. Rio did know. Zeke drops in on Rio. Rio puts his hands up like, what the fuck? Zeke still has no idea, kicks out. 
comes up from the wave and maybe the announcer said something or maybe he checked his watch or whatever and he starts putting his hands up realizing sort of went what went down he comes in yells what the fuck loud enough for the cameras to pick it up and then sprints sprints up the beach like the most like determined freaking i don't know i would have been terrified if i was the judges i would have been putting chairs under the door handle yeah i mean i was fortunate enough to witness jeremy flores storm in the tower uh it was one of the privileges of my life i think i was at that event i saw him dripping wet um just he smacked the uh he smacked the wall i think at one point and probably punched it i didn't really see that part because he just entered the room like they would have felt he's not a very big guy so zeke's different if he punched the wall the structure might break um <laughs> actually that's not true they're already building the panish one it's already like it's already wow and it's massive yeah so i think they build them pretty strong i don't know if zeke could break the wall but yeah so anyway this it, i wanted to break it down just so everybody's on the same page but yeah what's like your overall take on this because my take is it was a questionable call it was maybe weird that it took so long to make the change i can see why zeke would be upset but i also feel like you sort of reap what you sow and Zeke has been this type of competitor for so long where he just does that extra bit that you really don't need to do of kind of just like being a bully, like what he was doing to Rio. The only time I really remember it even working was against John at Bell's that one year. But I feel like even that left such a distaste in so many people's mouths that now when things like this occur, the judges are just instantly going to go against him. Like, I think that in the long run, it actually doesn't benefit him to do these things. And we've seen it now two events in a row. He's basically gotten really bad results as a result of him sort of taking this line. I mean, I agree with everything you're saying. Your reap what you sow point. Because, okay, even with the Kyle one, the more recent one, it's clear he's, that to me is like, okay, that was more being... That was more intentional, whereas this was just a clear-cut mistake. But following Rio around wasn't. That was a that was a conscious decision of his, you know, that he didn't need to do. Even if Rio got away and beat him, it wouldn't have changed anything. All he needed to do is sit on... If you want to sit on someone, sit on Leo. Yeah, I get that. But at the same time, it's like... And I'm sure it sucks to surf against him. I'm sure that nobody on tour enjoys that experience. I'm sure that, like, you want to just try to get your wave at the end of the heat peacefully and do your thing and perform... But I have to say, as an outsider, as a fan viewing it, I, I like it. Like, And our audience seems to always call them out in the comments. And frankly, our comments have changed dramatically over the years. They used to just be a shit show of people saying negative things. And they're mostly positive now. Zeke is not a fan favorite down there. But our metrics say otherwise. Anytime anything like this happens, the story does well. Everybody wants to read it, wants to talk about it. So to me, it's entertaining. Um but everything that you said, I agree with as well. Um, so it's, yeah, I, I appreciate it, but I don't think Rio would. Yeah, we love controversy. We love drama. We're human beings. Like, you see how freaking reality TV shows perform. But that's not to say that it's, one, good for Zeke. I guess that's my main point, is, like, you're doing all this extra shit. It's not helping you. You're still, you know, putting yourself in more situations that are bad than good, In my, from what I remember, at least. So... It's yeah, it's I agree. I think it's entertaining. I, it's way more interesting for something like that to happen and for that to be a headline on our site than, you know, day 2 at sunset in really average conditions. Yago Dora does a full rotation on a chest high left, you know? So, I'm happy for it to happen, but yeah, it's almost like Zeke, you're just digging yourself a hole. Well, I believe in change. We have a whole segment called the Surf Sim where we <laughs> try to send people on healing journeys. So, 
I think he could change. I think he just needs to learn some geometry. I think if he familiarizes himself with Pythagorean's theorem, uh, he'll be in a much better place and perhaps will understand triangles and how to avoid them moving forward. Will Europe's surf capital be underwater by 2000 and soon? Well, folks, if you don't like Zeke Lau interference stories, do we have one for you? <laughs> this is just a fairly depressing report. I mean, this is this is the alternative. You know, you read Zeke Lau or you read just the factual... Um, okay, I guess fact is a weird word because it's based on... The fact is that the local government in France put out a study saying that a lot of the coast is going to disappear. That's the fact. So what they're actually saying is speculative. It's based on all the information that they have available, and they're scientists. So uh, that's where we're at, and it's a pretty big deal. It's going to hit – you've not been there, right, Mikey? No, never. Okay. Um, well, for Mikey and for those of you who haven't been, there's a kind of small river that separates – or a small body of water that kind of separates – Hossegore from Capriton, and Capriton's going to get hit harder. They have a little harbor, and the whole area is pretty much just uh, it's sea level. It's just kind of dunes into some sea level, low-lying land. And with sea level rise, uh, if it rises the way it's expected to, on the Capriton side, it is the, the shoreline is expected to move 310 meters. Um, that's 340 yards if you want to look at it that way inland of where it is by 2000 oh that's a how do you say that how do you say the years in the future 2100 2120 <laughs> 2120 sounds weird i'm not going to be around for that <laughs> shit but uh 2120 it's going to be 310 meters back it's going to wipe out a neighborhood if it if it does what they're saying it's going to do and then hossegore where you have waves like the graviera that kind of shore break thing that area is going to be hit hard as well, just not as bad. Right around there, it's about 60 meters, so it's enough to wipe out some houses and stuff like that and obviously dramatically change the whole way everything works surf-wise. Um, but it's it looks like Capriton, if this prediction comes true, is is worse off. So, again, read the Zeke Loud thing if you don't like it. <laughs> well, okay, so like you said, I've never been to Europe, but this actually does make me think of a story that we did years and years ago because i remember basically having the question of why are tides so enormous in europe and tiny in hawaii you know and obviously those are just two points where that's true but tides vary all around the world the the size of the swing the uh what are they the coefficient is that what it's called yeah i think so so i basically did this story and it turns out there's so many factors to what makes tides like the tide changes big or small or whatever but one of the main ones are these things called amphidromic points and there are points where there's basically zero tide change, and they're scattered throughout the oceans, etc. So obviously, Europe and France, they're not very close to an amphidromic point because of the fact that we can see how big their tides are. Like I said, there are other factors involved as well, one of them being the, um, basically the depth of the seafloor leading up to a coastline. So I haven't really looked into Europe that deeply or France, but... I bet that some of those factors are involved in which towns and which areas are going to feel the most sort of um, coastal erosion as sea level rises. Because especially with the, um, 
with the the depth of the seafloor leading into the coast with if it's shallower then you'll have a greater effect of you know say it's five meters of rise it can spread over more area because there's less water to fill i don't know how to i'm not a fucking scientist i can't explain any of this shit but that's kind of what i'm thinking wow i mean that's really interesting the tide thing i remember that was before i was at stab and I love that. That was a great deep dive into tides. We should revisit it because it's so complex and there's a lot there. We'll put it in the show notes. And if you have a tide prediction that actually works, I struggle to find things that accurately predict the coefficient here. Um, or at least do it. Maybe it's it's hard. It's weird. If you look at different sites, you look closely, you know, the tide times might be matched up pretty well. But a lot of the coefficients are just completely off. And I have a hard time telling what is exactly what and a few of the waves here really like the lowest tide possible and so uh if you have that if you're a europe uh tide expert please reach out to me because i need that and um for the rest of us go read this go it'll make you feel good about humanity probably not but paul does a great job as always of taking a complex subject and in this scenario a not happy subject something that's not fun to read about and he makes it a playful read so Nice work, Paul, and we're actually we're about to hear from him. So, let's get to the next story. We watched Make or Break season two, so you may or may not have to. We right now is Paul Evans. I am speaking on his behalf. Mikey and I are going to watch it. Uh, it is not out at the time we speak. We're speaking on Thursday, Feb sixteenth. We have four episodes of this dropping on Apple TV on Friday, February 17th, and the next four dropping on Friday, February 24th. Apple TV Plus is it? What is it? It's their subscription service, so it's not free. But we will have some thoughts on it when we get time to watch it. And when I say time, I also mean a screener. Uh, WSL. Chloe. Send us that. Chloe. Chloe. Chloe, please. <laughs> but somehow... Paul got the screener already. Um, all three of us were on an email, and somehow it worked out for Paul. So yeah. he's going to And here we thought out. Tim Apple hated Europeans. Right? And then, but he's just handing out shows for free. Now he just hands them out for, 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 to Paul. So let's hear from Paul. Let's, let's see what he has to say about Make or Break Season 2. Hello, everyone. Evans here reporting from a delightfully sunny southwest France. I just watched the entire Season 2 of Make or Break, which, as I'm sure you're all aware, follows the world's best surfers on tour. It goes behind the scenes with some of their personal relationships, their reactions with each other. Really, really fascinating season. Highly enjoyable. Featured in this one, Kelly Slater with Winner Pipe. Check out the Wright family, Tyler and Owen at Bells. Jack Robinson... Is a really, really interesting character. And he offers loads of fascinating insights, really, into what makes him tick. Cola Pinto and Igarashi. They've got a bit of a rivalry going on, and it's a really interesting one to go behind the scenes of. Particularly that dynamic um, is made more interesting by the fact they share a coach in Tommy Witts. That was really, really interesting indeed. Italo Ferreira also featuring, and particularly his manager, Marcos who I just found to be a really fascinating guy. He's a pretty busy man, is Marcos, dealing with loads and loads in that kind of frantic world of Italo Ferreira's on-tour life. Fascinating to see how that all works out for him. We check out Tatiana Weston-Webb as well in terms of her dealing from coming so close in 2021 and trying to put it back together for a title charge. 
in 22. Interesting to see what makes Tati tick and also what some of the other surfers have to say about her. The rivalries with the women maybe don't seem as quite as overtly expressed as with some of the men. Nevertheless, there's certainly quite a few subplots just kind of boiling under the surface on the women's side of the tour. Then, of course, we come to Trestles for finals day and it really is made for great TV with all that drama, those matches. And you probably know what happens in terms of who won and Gilmore's charge from fifth to first. I mean, it was the performance of the season as far as I'm concerned. Take away the epic surf of Kelly at Pipe, but Gilmore just operating on an entirely another level at Trestles. Overall, I found season two to give us all of the interesting stuff from season one, but just nudge it on a little further. We check out some different characters. And if the whole idea of the series was to make you more interested in tour, well, it worked for me. So the title that I read out loud is, that's the name of the story on the site that he wrote. So if you want a deeper dive into it, go check that out. It made me really want to watch the show. Um, it, it tells you what you're getting, but not in a way that's going to like ruin any surprises. I mean, if you follow the surf world closely, you know what happened. Like, obviously you know who won the world title, but you also know a lot of these backstories and stuff that they're touching on. You just know that this crew box to box is going to do it at a level that we're not really used to. And just, it sounds really well done. Paul had great things to say about in the review. And there has to be an episode on the Baker train, right? That is the one thing that I think we can criticize them for right i didn't get on board based on paul's review which is all i have to go off of right now is not his jackson baker's name didn't come up once mcgillivray did mcgillivray got in there but jackson baker how do you miss that this is the biggest story of the year one thing that i think you'll love mikey episode seven focuses on italo and what paul seemed to like most about that was italo's manager <laughs> you talked about him before marcus marcos yeah paul just pretty much in this review touches on Italo. Yeah, you get to see him. And then he's talking about this. And he's like, just writes a paragraph about this guy. I'm so curious to see this guy. Cause I've, I've only talked with him on WhatsApp and it has been such a ride. So I'm so, I can't wait to see the face behind the, uh, the messages. Oh, wow. Well, apparently he's just full of energy. He does everything from filming to cooking to talking to you on WhatsApp. So he's just this like, <laughs> It sounds incredible. Um, I wasn't sure if he was on the stab in the dark shoot with you. He wasn't there. No, but I was. I was. I was dealing with him in the background a lot, so I got to know him pretty well. Wow. And and rave reviews on your end? Uh, mixed reviews. Yeah. <laughs> Surf World mourns death of legendary filmmaker cinematographer Larry Haynes. This happened. Shortly after we recorded the podcast last week, uh, but it's huge news, so we really wanted to find the time to talk about it this week. Larry Haynes, if you're not familiar with him, he was a filmmaker and a cinematographer um, from Hawaii. He made his own films, as most people do, to make a name for themselves. Uh, Fluid Combustion, they're kind of core classics. And from there, he's just, you know, he's very good at, he was very good at what he did and very very well loved and so when you have those things going for you you have a long and incredible career in your space and that was the case with larry here beyond his own films he worked on chasing mavericks he scaled up to production is that big that was a full hollywood film 
and he also had a very, very long-term relationship with the WSL. Um, he was at the 2022 finals shooting. He was filming at Pipe for them. Like he, he was just really deep into that scene and loved by everybody. So sad one, folks. We're sad about this. Yeah, I mean, he was truly like a fixture in surfing. Like he was a part of the freaking reef at Pipeline when any event was going on, whether it was WSL or you know, backdoor shootout or Vans Pipe Masters or whatever it is. Like Larry Haynes is the guy for water filming, especially from a ski at Pipeline. I know he gets in the water as well. Um, but yeah, and just to see him at the, the CT event two days prior, and I guess you just never know. It's a, it's a good reminder. And it, I think uh, I heard that he was surfing Lani Ikea, and I think he got in his car and he had a heart attack. So I hope he had a really good session. And I hope he has a lot more in whatever happens next. Yep, yep, well said. Um, but like you said, he he was a fixture on the reef of pipe, and it takes a special person to shoot surfing all day from the beach, but it takes a really special person to do it from the water, and that was who Larry was. So big loss here, but um, yeah, hope he's in a good space now. Okay, let's talk about what's next. I believe we've promised you a Jai Glindeman film before um, called Surf Films Are Hard. A couple times. The term comedy of errors was thrown around on a Slack channel this week. Uh, it did not go out this week. You may have noticed that. But it is finally set to go out next week, uh, provided there is no sort of invasion from extraterrestrial beings or a nuclear exchange or something of this nature i think it'll go out and i think we'll finally be able to share this with you so we're looking forward to that uh we've also got a few written pieces that i think you'll love we've got a little profile on somebody who i'd describe as like a redneck longboarder two things that don't really go together but uh justin quintal 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 justin quintal Interesting guy, world champ longboarder, holds a world record for a fish caught, and he loves Leonard Skinner, so he's not your everyday hipster. And we've also got a guide to surfing the surf stadium in Japan. It is open for biz. Japan is open for tourism. Um, we got everything you need to know about going and hitting that. That will be live on the site next week. And this week, new joyride dropped as well. Ooh, ooh, tell him, Mikey. Tell him. Well, it's it's a contradiction. A very holy man made me a very unholy craft, and you just have to watch to understand. Yep, yep. So yeah, we got redneck longboarders, we got holy men and unholy crafts, so a lot of uh, dichotomy right now, and that's a good thing. Let's celebrate it. But let's also hear a surf sin. We talk about the categories. This is a new one, and Mikey, you work your way into it, which is going to really make for an interesting penance administration just some good banter mikey buck i'm here to confess a sin i'm in santa cruz california i am a school teacher which is great we work 186 days a year and get off typically about three o'clock so i get um get a lot of water time and uh, i actually got two sins one's about teaching one is about you mikey uh so i'll start with teaching first and foremost uh Great gig here on the west side of Santa Cruz. However, my sin is that when the WSL is going to be on and it's firing, I gotta be honest, I had just 
the plans of the day to fit in quite a bit of screen time for myself so I can witness the action. Uh, I like all types of surfing, competitive surfing for what it is. It's uh, pretty damn cool. That's sin number one. Sin number two, Mikey. A few years ago, you were riding a pink board at a wave a few miles up the coast. Not sure how many. Um, and uh, I was there like most afternoons, three o'clock, a little wind protection. And uh, I let my dog off leash. We run. Tide was low. So you were actually had uh, your boards. You were doing, uh, I, I think, a joy ride stacked up on kind of a spot that we typically walk to get out to the point to jump off the conveyor belt. And, uh, you know, I suited up, set my stuff down. Me and my dog are going to go run. He goes ahead, gets excited, jumps up to where you were, where is our typical path at a higher tide. And uh, he jumps straight on your boards, unbeknownst to him that we're resting there. And you kind of looked at me and I kind of looked at you and I was like, I knew who you were, you fucking rip. And I was like, welcome to four mile. And you kind of laughed and kind of were like, oh, oh, because you pamper your boards. You know, you're not a C-list warrior like the old Buckster. But uh, anywho, that was my sin. And, uh, you know, I've been sitting on that one. That was probably four years ago now. That dog is actually uh, flew the rainbow. Rest in peace, King Zig. And uh, actually his King Zig deals here. Um, anywho, I'm a sinner. I, I, I need a heal. I, I need a heal. Um, thanks, boys. Fucking love the podcast. First thought, I feel properly ashamed of myself for not living near a wave that rhymes with my name. It's it's just <laughs> four mile Kyle. Fuck, that's so cool. How often do you think you have to surf it to sort of earn that title? Oh, like I think it has to be a pretty lifetime commitment. I think you have to be more excited about that wave than anybody else. I think that's a big part of it. You can't just surf there a little bit. I think you have to be like always tell like everybody will be like, hey man, this other wave was like this was the great swell angle and everything for it like we should go there but no nah, four miles real good like i think you have to just have that level of obsession with it and then yeah at least a decade and no signs of stopping just it's a life and you got to be the guy who's out there like on days that are big and stormy and people are just like watching the ocean they're like wait is that a person and they're like yeah it's, it's probably kyle our names anything with mikey or buck I, it's i'm sure there's waves out there but it's it's pretty hard four mile kyle that is the coolest thing i've ever heard congratulations <laughs> all right so i do remember this Quite clearly. I was actually filming Best Wetsuits, not a joyride. And yeah, it was one of those situations where it's like, what are you going to do? I don't know. Like a freaking dog jumped on my surfboard. You're, you're going to freaking hit the dog or like, like, you know what I mean? Like yell at the owner. Like it was obviously, it was a mistake. So um, I, I wasn't too upset. And if it makes Kyle feel any better, as I told him in the email, later that trip, I actually lent that surfboard to Rachel, um, a girl who used to work for Stab that was shooting photos on that trip. Uh, to go surf steamer lane and she got in a collision with somebody else out there she got like two giant holes in the board and then refused to fix it so i think that board was just doomed uh from the get-go so i actually I, yeah you know what it is what it is water under the bridge 
Um, I'm not going to give you penance for that one. I think that's, if anything, it seemed like he was actually implying that I was sort of in the wrong here because I apparently put my board on like his dog's path or something like that. Did you, did you catch that little hint in there? Yeah, yeah, I, I picked up on that. I picked up on that. Yeah, so maybe I need a penance. Which is a sin. I've seen that like, sometimes you see people set up at the wrong spot. Like I, it's a weird thing. If people are in the same spot every day and you're, you disrupt that in some way, you're noticed and uh, you might be completely yeah. unaware of it, but you're noticed. And he would know. And four mile Kyle would be well aware. <laughs> he would, he would know. Um, also, I think that, I think that he said joyride because I bet he watches every time he sees a joyride. I bet he just has it, this memory resurface in his head and he feels that weird little, like he said, he's been holding onto it for a while. So I think, I think it just has stuck with him. And anytime he sees any of your projects, he's reminded of it immediately. Uh, that's just an assumption, but that's how I feel. Okay, I think there's a sin here. I got a dog about a month ago, and even just yesterday, I think the sin just came in at the right time. Even just yesterday, I was on the beach with him. He wasn't doing anything bad. He was just being really annoying. To uh, There's just people walking, and he really just wanted to follow them. They thought it was funny. I guess it was more annoying for me. But sometimes you can't control dogs, but it's really frustrating. It can be embarrassing if if it kind of goes on for a while. Um, so I think that hit me hit me a certain way. Uh, also, Mikey, you're a dog guy as well. I think I don't want to, you know, what project, I think is the word they use now. I want to project here, but if I didn't know, you'd kind of strike me as a cat guy. You're just very calculated. You kind of have cat energy a little bit. Whoa. I, 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 that's, a, that's a big diss. You think so? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. You just like... I, you. I'm stupid. I'll go chase the ball. Uh, that's, I think, and you are just more calculated. I feel like that's why it's a good balance on here. Okay. Well, I love dogs. I, I don't mind cats, but I would never get a cat of my own volition. Dogs are like love, 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 love dogs. So sorry to disappoint. Okay. Well, that's why you're not giving him a penance. Yeah. But I do think there's a penance here. So he also said he was a teacher. And wh whether you're training a dog or you're bringing up the next generation of, in his case, Santa Cruzians, you are trying to get them to, you're trying to mold behavior in a certain way, right? And so I think a lot of that good behavior should be encouraged. I think that's a good way to kind of get good behavior to be the, the mold, mold it in there. Um, and so my penance, it's pretty easy to achieve. It's just kind of simple. So next time he's out in waves of consequence, um, I'll let him be the judge of that. But next time four mile Kyle is out in waves of consequence and he sees somebody stroking into like a pretty psycho one in a situation where he might normally hoot or yell or do something like that. He just has to go, good boy. <laughs> That's really good. Oh man. You're probably going to like cause someone to break their fucking neck. Cause they're just going to be laughing as they take off. <laughs> Are you sure? I'd be pretty psyched if I was paddling into one. Somebody shout good boy at me. <laughs> okay, okay. So I actually, I said I didn't have a penance for the dog one, but I do have a penance overall because he actually technically gave us two sins. So I want to go back to the first one. Um, I, I definitely don't think it's a sin that he is watching the WSL or whatever other surf contest while he's at work. I think that if you're not doing that, you're not really a surfer. But I think the real sin is not involving your students in this practice. I really think you can actually get more out of it. You can probably watch more of the event and you can 
maybe potentially feasibly convince your superiors that you're doing it for the betterment of your students. So like, I don't know, if you're a math teacher, you can have a competition to say like, okay, so, uh, you know, Rio Wida has a 5.3 and a 4.63, and the surfer in first, Zeke Lau, has, you know, a 10-point heat total. How many points does Rio need to get on his next wave to beat Zeke? And then, you know, or if you're an English teacher, you can have them try to translate whatever Kaipo or Strider are saying. Like, I feel like the, the possibilities are endless. <laughs> I like that a lot. That's really good. And especially if he actually pulls that off, it's just a win-win. It's incredible. It's a, it's a creative, he'll have to come up with a creative way to do it. And that's a really good penance. Um, while he's at it, teach Zeke Lau about triangles. That is clearly needed. Thank you, as always, for listening to The Drop. And if you want to send your surf sins in, you can send those to michael at stabbank.com or buck at stabbank.com. As we alluded to in this episode, I'm going to be out for a couple weeks. I got a bachelor party and then a wedding, family coming, etc. So yeah, I'm going to take some time off, hopefully get some really good waves, get married again, kind of. I don't have like an ex-wife, but I'm kind of already married. Whatever, you don't need to know. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm going to miss you guys. So I hope that Stace can come on with maybe Holden, who's been writing our uh, contest wraps for Sunset. They can break down all that. And Buck will be back next week with somebody else to fill my seat. So until next time, over and out.